Welcome back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation from the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. We're making our way through the book of Galatians, this incredible letter that reminds us of the gospel with such just piercing clarity. And we're up to chapter 5. We're looking at verses 1 through 15. We're taking it very slow considering these verses kind of little bit by little bit, but I want us to keep the context of what's being said in mind. So I'm going to read these 15 verses probably every day that we go through this uh, and, and then comment on the specifics of what Paul is arguing here. So let me pray for us and then I'll read Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 through 15. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the clarity of this letter that reminds us of the gospel that reminds us that we're justified by grace through faith in Christ and not by works. We pray that you would strengthen us to see that by your Spirit, that we might rest more and more in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Paul writes, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. For you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Well, as we've pointed out, there are these two verses that give us the opposite sides of the same coin. Verses 1 and verse 13. For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And we've laid out that reality, and now we're diving in to this picture and, and trying to figure out exactly this understanding that Paul is giving us of the, the life in Christ and, and kind of looking at some of the details of what it looks like to live the Christian life. And he begins looking at verse 2, warning the Galatians and us that I say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now, that's an incredibly bold statement. He, he's reminding them that if, or he's, he's claiming that if, if they accept this one point of the law, just circumcision, if they accept just that, that it is necessary for their justification, that it's necessary for their salvation, that if, if you're uncircumcised, then you're, you're necessarily outside the household of God. He, his claim is that if you accept that premise, then Christ has nothing for you. He's of no advantage to you. 
See, what Paul is doing is he is setting up this hard contrast that we have looked at before and talked about before as we've worked our way through Galatians, that it is either we are justified by grace through faith in Christ. We're justified based on what Christ has done for us, or we're justified based on what we've done for ourselves. We're either justified through faith or through works. It can't in any way be a mixture of the two. It's all one or all the other. That's why he says here, if you accept circumcision, Christ is of no advantage to you. If you make it about the law, if our justification is based on our performance, then it doesn't matter what Jesus did for us. That's his point. Now, he uses the point of circumcision here, and, and the Old Testament law is what he has in view, but in reality, we can, we can say this about any point of law. If there's any command, even if it's a man-made command, and even if, even if it's a, a modern Christian culture type command, that we say that is absolutely necessary if you're going to be a Christian. If we, if we come up with any command like that and hang our or someone else's justification on it, then Christ is of no advantage because it is either by our being good that we stand justified or by Christ. But it can't be any mixture of those things. So when we make statements like, I don't know how someone can consider themselves a Christian and vote this way, or I don't know how someone can consider themselves a Christian and do this thing, or I don't know how someone can consider themselves a Christian and not do X. When we make those kind of statements, we're, we're coming very, very close, if we're not all the way there, of putting ourselves in this position of running back to the law, and therefore Christ will be of no advantage to us. Now, this isn't in any way to deny that there is a Christian life that there is a, a Christian ethic that we're to, to walk in. Of course there is. But the moment that we attach our justification to that ethic, we lose any advantage from Jesus. Christ will be of no advantage to you, says, I testify again. He repeats himself, explaining what he means. Every man who accepts circumcision is obligated to keep the whole law. See, that's the issue. It can't be Christ plus one or two key points. It can't be Christ plus the one or two things that we really hold dear. It's either all law, and you keep all of the law, you do all the things right, or we are justified by Christ, by grace through faith, in Christ, on the basis of his obedience. There is no mixture of the two. If you accept one point of the law for your justification, you have to accept all of it. That's what Paul wants us to see. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. Again, one of the boldest statements in the entire letter. You're cut off. Christ is of no advantage to you. But here's the thing. This isn't the, the first time we've heard such a bold statement. In fact, Jesus says, in essence, the very same thing. He says, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for sinners. 
he uses this metaphor of a sick person. He says, healthy people, the, the person who is well, has no need of a physician. Only sick people need a doctor. And, and so I didn't come for the righteous. His point is, if you think you're righteous by your law keeping, then you don't need me and I didn't come for you. You're severed from Christ if you think that, that your obedience, that your performance, that your righteousness, that your morality, that your voting record, that your whatever gives you standing before God. If you think any of that, Christ is of no advantage to you. In fact, Paul says you are severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. This is a phrase that is used a lot in, you know, popular circles and, and popular language that just kind of fall from grace. We talk about someone who has, you know, been, you know, at some great position and then some scandal comes out and we say, oh, they've fallen from grace. You know, maybe it's some athlete that is, you know, the franchise quarterback or something and, and then it comes out that he's been... I don't know, sleeping with masseuses. And there's this fall from grace. Or maybe it's some minister that is, you know, this big name, big speaker, big voice, big influence, and then you find out that he's involved in all kinds of scandals. And we say, oh, he's fallen from grace. See, what we mean is, when we, when we use that phrase in that way, what we mean is that he was in a position of importance he was in a position where he, he deserved the favor and the reputation that he got. But now that we know what he has done, now that we know how he actually is, he's no longer deserving of that grace. He's no longer deserving of that favor, of that reputation. Now, here's the problem. This is the complete opposite of what Paul is saying when he uses this statement. What Paul is saying when he uses this statement is if you go back to the law, if you go back to thinking that by your performance, you're deserving of favor, you're deserving of reputation, that's when you have fallen from grace. See, we're much closer to falling from grace when we take this position that that, that by our performance, we deserve the favor. By our performance, we deserve the reputation. We're much closer to falling from grace when we think that, that the way you fall from grace is by somehow sinning gloriously. We're much closer to falling from grace when that's our position than when we actually commit the sin and recognize that we need grace from God if we're going to live. That's what Paul means. If you think that by your performance, you're deserving of God's favor. If you think that by your performance, you're deserving of, of, of justification, you're deserving of, of a good reputation before God and man, then that's the point, actually, that you have fallen from grace. Not when you show that you're not worthy of that. See, Paul knows that none of us are worthy of favor. None of us are worthy of a reputation. None of us are worthy of justification with God. It's only by grace that we get it. And so when we turn from Christ, in whom we find this grace, in order to establish ourselves on our works, that's when we have fallen from grace. 
not when we admit that we're incredible sinners and that our only hope is that we find a gracious Savior. That's not falling from grace. That's falling directly into grace. And that's what Paul wants us to do. Might we learn to fall into grace by admitting that it's our only hope because we are vile sinners. Amen. Thank you.